Now we uh, continue this morning in our sermon series going through the book of Genesis. And this morning we will uh, see here in chapter 4 that evil no longer is simply or only an outside force working against us, coming at us, working on us. Now it's also fully and sufficiently working within us. In chapter, if chapter 3 introduced us to sin itself and to the introduction of the brokenness of this world, chapter 4 introduces us to what theologians refer to as original sin. And original sin, simply stated, explains the reality <laughs> that although every single human being still very much remains marked with the fingerprint of a good God whose image we, are, we all continue to bear, and that there is still much to celebrate about humanity because we're creating God's image. We also now simultaneously pass down another legacy to subsequent generations, a propensity that is always there, that is always lingering to do the wrong thing. <laughs> a sense within all of us that we are well aware of that to do good things, to establish good habits actually requires effort. <laughs> While simply doing that which is less than human or fails to contribute to the common good of mankind comes quite naturally to us and needs no effort whatsoever. It's because of original sin. And that's now our universal reality and experience as human beings. And we'll see it play out here in Genesis 4. Will you follow along now as I read chapter 4? I'll read just the first 16 verses. This is God's holy word. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord of Yahweh. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, 
vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's word. Will you pray with me one more time? Our Father God, we ask now that you would meet us in this place, however we have come here this morning, whether we come with strong faith or whether we come doubting, whether we come even still wondering whether these things could actually be true and have any application in our life today. However we find ourselves this morning in this place, would you meet with us and convince us that you are still speaking to us to this day, even through these words. Send your spirit, Jesus, as the one who has words of eternal life. May we hear from you now, we pray for your sake. Amen. You know that good feeling of starting out on a, a project or starting out on a trip, starting, in, starting on a new job, and at first you're excited, and there's many good signs at the outside. This, this could go really well. <laughs> this could be good. Only to find out that's not exactly how things played out <laughs> over the course of time. Genesis 4, chapter 4, is kind of like that. Because the chapter actually starts out kind of optimistic and even hopeful. It's a pretty good start. Verse 1, now Adam knew his, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh, with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Last week, if you recall, we saw Adam seem to respond with at least a modest level of faithfulness to God's discipline when he called his wife Eve, the mother of all living. Perhaps there Adam saw that this wasn't going to be the end. His rebellion was not going to undo completely what God had done, and God was not done with what he had started. And here it appears Eve may also be expressing some faith of her own. Remember in chapter 3, God made them a promise that although there would still be a struggle between her seed and the enemy's seed, whereas the enemy's seed, whereas, excuse me, where her seed would take a blow to the foot, to the heel, the head of the enemy's seed was going to receive a blow, a crushing blow. Again, Eve conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. Now, sitting this side of Jesus' first coming, it's clear that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 3.15 by God. But at this time, Eve did not have our timetable of the fullness of redemptive history to look back on and work with. And so when she bears a child at this point, she directly attributes it to God's providence and his care and his help and even his faithfulness to his promise with the help of Yahweh. Maybe this now is God's promise delivered. That's a good start to chapter four. But verse two continues, unfortunately, <laughs> and sets up the plot for the crux of the rest of the passage. Now, Abel, there it says, was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain 
brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Both Cain and Abel brought an offering from their own vocation, from how they individually made their living, so to speak. But God did not regard Cain's sacrifice. Why? Why? Well, first we should know that there's no explicit command here recorded from God to these two brothers to actually bring a sacrifice or an offering. They're not coming in response to God saying, bring me a sacrifice. Both brothers do this on their own. So what is the difference between the two? Well, it's, it can't be because, although some have proposed, that one was a meat sacrifice and the other was simply a fruit or a grain from the ground offering. Because if you recall, Adam and Eve were called to work the ground. That was a good thing. In fact, the Israelites who were hearing this story would have been well aware of several types of sacrifices that God actually prescribes for his people. There is a type of sacrificial offering, yes, that requires the shedding of blood. It's called a sin offering. But there are other types of sacrifices. There are other types of offerings as well that are just as legitimate, just as responses in obedience to God's commands that are taken from the ground. And in fact, most likely, this is what the original audience would have most likely recognized from Cain's sacrifice, a legitimate Thanksgiving offering of grain, the fruit of the ground. And so I would suggest the clue, therefore, as to why Cain's was not regarded, though Abel's was, is not in the variety or the type of the sacrifice, but rather in the quality of the sacrifice. Notice the author's description of Abel's offering and the lack of description of Cain's. Verse 3, Cain, again, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. First, the firstborn. Why is that significant, the firstborn? Well, at least it's because there's no guarantee there's ever going to be any more. <laughs> to give the very first establishes a clear recognition of where these good gifts come from and whose ultimately they in fact are. It's a recognition that we are merely stewards of all that God entrusts to us. So Abel is expressing his faithful heart by his gift. God, I know that all I have is yours, therefore you will get my first. It was the first. But secondly, Abel's sacrifice is from the fat portions. It's as if the author is saying, Abel gave of the most marbled parts of the cut of meat, <laughs> of his sacrifice, of his sheep, the good stuff. It was the first and it was the best. That's the point. And so while Cain seemed to be simply going through the motions, Abel saw this as more than a necessary religious 
right, something that you and I just do as the people of God. Rather, he saw this as a way to express the depth of his gratitude and his thanksgiving and his praise to God. So that's the first question for you and I this morning from this text. Are we aware? Are you and I aware? When we are simply going through the motions in worship as a follower of Jesus. Or ask from another direction (laughs) and even put a finer point on it. How much thanksgiving and praise is God worth to you? To me. Because I would make the case to the degree that we honestly recognize how all has been freely given to us will determine how freely we will give back and even how generous our own worship will in fact be. Now, certainly there are times that we will come on a Sunday morning and our hearts will be heavy. There will be times when it will feel seemingly impossible (laughs) to generate any kind of genuine praise and thanksgiving. We are fallen human beings after all. That's true. That's reality. And no doubt, God would much rather you be here with him in his presence with a lack of or inability to give thanks than to not be here. (laughs) Nevertheless, if we ever get into a rut of coming to worship on Sunday mornings for weeks, for months, or even, God forbid, years at a time, simply because we're supposed to be here, it behooves us to ask ourselves, why? Why? You see, you and I were built to palpably recognize, not just theoretically, (laughs) but experientially in our own lives, recognize the beauty and the wonder of our God and Redeemer. And if our hearts have remained cold, perhaps it's time to reacquaint ourselves with the goodness of our God. To reacquaint ourselves with the fact that all we have, in fact, comes from the one from whom all blessings flow. Now, perhaps you were, you were like me and maybe grew up in a family where you said grace before every meal. I was actually also not allowed to leave the table until we had given thanks after the meal. <laughs> but listen to the author that I quoted a couple weeks ago, G.K. Chesterton, on on this idea of gratitude and worship. Listen to what he says. He says, you say grace before meals. All right. (laughs) I have learned to say grace before the concert, before the opera. I say grace before the play and before the pantomime. He wrote a few generations ago. I don't know if any of us go to any pantomimes anymore. I say grace before I open a book. I say grace before sketching, before painting, before swimming, before fencing, before boxing, before walking, playing, dancing. I say grace even before I dip my pen in the ink. That's intentionally living a full life of worship and gratitude. (laughs) That's one who is in touch with how much and how often Thanksgiving is the appropriate thing to offer to our God. So here's the question again. Is God getting your first fruits this morning? Is God getting my fatty portions? 
Or is he simply getting our leftovers? And if it's only leftovers, are we self-aware? Are you self-aware enough to know, or at least willing to try to understand why? And then address it. Verse five continues. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? Well, Cain is, is angry because God's accepted his brother's sacrifice, but not his own. And so what does God do in response? Well, it shouldn't surprise us anymore at this point in Genesis that God asks a question. <laughs> why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why are you downtrodden? How long suffering is our God with us <laughs> and slow to his own anger and condemnation? <laughs> if at this point in just the first three and a half chapters of Genesis, you don't have a further appreciation for God's patience and his, how long suffering he is, you simply haven't been paying attention. <laughs> But Cain's reaction further displays what was going on inside of his heart and further proof why his sacrifice was not acceptable in the first place. His true heart's posture is revealed out of which he was even offering his offering in the first place. He's mad, his, he is angry, and his anger here really is a demonstration of what is a classic case of spiritual pride. When you and I get quickly defensive when we're criticized or someone disagrees with us or we're rebuked, that's evidence for spiritual pride. Spiritual pride causes us to take any kind of criticism received, not as potentially an exhortation, that is to promote our good in the long run, but rather as a personal attack against us. And so here perhaps is a warning for us today as Bible-believing, church-going Christians. You see, Cain is not living a heinous life of debauchery. <laughs> He's not out there living a worldly life. Heck, he is even apparently bringing offerings to God voluntarily. But underneath it all, there is a deadly spiritual pride. And because God cares too much for those he created, he will use any means necessary when our own hearts are hijacked by spiritual pride, even using severe warnings. And we'll, in fact, issue one to Cain here. But before we hear the warning, please note God's warnings are always out of an initial posture of love and concern for us. His warnings may come across as harsh, but they are offered out of his compassion. Our apartment in Queens in New York is, a, is one block from the busiest street in Queens. It's six lanes of traffic all the way across. It's the borough's equivalent of Palm Bay Road. When my oldest son was a year older than when he ran away from home, <laughs> I was walking with him and we were walking towards the subway stop, his hand in mine, and something got his attention in the distance. 
And he pulls away from my hand and took off running directly to Queens Boulevard. I tried not to panic. (laughs) I started simply by immediately calling to him. Hey, bud. Bud. Incrementally, I I, I got louder and more forceful the further he got from me. I was not going to catch him. It was too late for that. Until had you simply been sitting up in the second story with your window open, not knowing what's happening, and you heard my last, Bud, stork, stop. You'd have probably been prepared to call Child Protective Services. (laughs) It would have sounded very angry. But if there was anger to the degree that there was, it was more directed at the evil that awaited him had he continued on his path than anger at him directly. Now, thankfully, he stopped. (laughs) It was a Siberian husky he saw in the distance that reminded him of his own husky that we used to have a long time ago living in Memphis, and he just wanted to pet the husky before he got to Queens Boulevard. (laughs) And by me raising my voice and sounding that angry, (laughs) I was doing so out of a desire to save him from his own self-destruction and death. God's warnings to us are often loud and serious because they are but they're out of trying to save us from our own self-destruction and death. Here's the warning to Cain. Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for or contrary to you. You must rule over it. God is describing sin here as one of those lions or cheetahs on Nat Geo that's crouched down among the brush and watching the herd of wildebeest moving through the area, and he's looking for the easiest one to take out. God's encouraging Cain to see his sin that way. Do we see our sin that way? Do we see the deadly poison of the temptation toward a heart posture of spiritual pride that way? Or to ask it another way, is it possible that we don't see it because it's crouching? You see, our sins and temptations to sin crouch. The Lord towards spiritual pride is always lying in wait. It's always looking for an opportunity to take us out. And it can take out a whole community, in fact. (laughs) And because of that, it sneaks up on us. Because often spiritual pride subtly infiltrates our hearts, even while we're engaged in doing good things. The good and right motive of serving and ministering to the church can at any time be threatened by spiritual pride (laughs) when we begin to keep track of whether others are properly carrying their weight. The pursuit and demand for right and precise doctrine can at any time be contaminated by spiritual pride 
when instead of leading to greater worship of and gratitude toward our God, as we fully know him more, we find ourselves constantly having to correct, at least in our own heads, even the most minor ideas of others. But perhaps the ugliest, most ugliest form of spiritual pride can even impede our efforts to communicate the good news of the gospel to others who do not believe as we do. Whenever we are slightly tempted to think that the amount of grace necessary for them to come to faith is greater than what was required for us, that's spiritual pride. And that gets in the way. (laughs) And my friends, I speak with experience in each one of those areas. And a heck of a lot more. Well, let's continue. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Even after Cain murders his brother, God comes with another question. Again, not trying to learn something he doesn't know. He's trying to draw Cain into the light of honest repentance, even now. But unfortunately, Cain's pride now has a vice grip on his soul. And Cain says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) In verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth. Now at this point, even at this point, it is still not too late for Cain. If Cain would just get over himself, you see even God's harshest words of judgment are still laced with gracious invitations to respond with humility. But Cain digs in even deeper in his obstinacy deeper in his hardness of heart. And thus he ends up getting banned further east of Eden. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is now greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And from your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest anyone who found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. As Cain obstinately denied any responsibility for his family members' welfare, a trait he certainly got from his parents, he will now face isolation from his own family further east of Eden. But even in his obstinacy and complaining, God is still showing mercy here because God promises to intervene in order to keep further bloodshed from occurring. And so he places a mark on him so that others may not take revenge on him. So the mark protects Cain. Therefore, it's not so much a mark of God's cursing as it is a mark of his mercy to protect him. I bring this to a close. My friends, those of us present here today, Lord willing, none of us have physically actually carried out a murder as did Cain. But the truth is, the reality is, we have certainly shared Cain's spiritual pride at times in our life. We have certainly shared his lack of proper gratitude 
that got him there. And we have certainly shared at least moments of hatred towards another image bearer, which Jesus tells us quite plainly is sufficient enough to hold us guilty before a good God who made all human beings in his image. And as much patience, as much grace, as much mercy (laughs) that we see here extended to Cain, as much of God's steadfast love continued to be expressed and poured out to Cain, you and I have even more today. Hebrews 12, 24, the writer says this. Remember Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And remember the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the writer to the Hebrews saying as he has Genesis 4 in mind? Whereas God comes to Cain and says, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. There is an image bear that lies dead in the ground, and I take that seriously, and his blood calls out from the ground, accusing you and calling out against you. You and I have a better Abel, a better brother whose death and whose blood calls out from the cross Now, not against you, not accusing you. But if your faith is in him this morning, the blood from the cross cries out on your behalf. For those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, his blood cries out a better word of vindication on your behalf. And so right Now, before the throne, regardless of whatever and whenever your enemy comes and claims and accuses you there before the throne, the blood of your better brother, Jesus Christ, out and says, it is no longer held against him. It is no longer held against her. I have paid for it with my own blood. My blood cries out on her behalf. My blood cries out on his behalf. He is mine. She is mine. My friends, be reminded of that, to relish that, and to appropriate that into our lives on a daily basis is a death blow to any roots of spiritual pride and also is the fuel that will melt a heart into appropriate and full fullness in grateful praise and thanksgiving. Hear his blood speaking that better word again to you this morning. You are mine. And doing so, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Believe that this morning. Live by that this week. For Christ's sake. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do pause. We, We ask that you might in your kindness, by the work of even your Holy Spirit within us, allow us the opportunity to ponder anew what it is that you can do 
when your love befriends us and we get that and we appropriate that and we believe that. Help us to believe this morning, Jesus, that your blood still cries out from the cross, still applies to us, to our record, even before the throne now, removing the guilt and claiming that we are vindicated, that we are justified in your sight, and that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Help us. Remind us. Again, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.